Chapter Fourteen of Rejected of Men by Howard Pyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fourteen: Veritas Divinis, Veritas Mundi. A disturbance, even of a great magnitude, does not pervade the whole of a community. You may hear, for instance, in the heart of the town that there is a riot going on in the suburbs but you may not be brought any more actually in touch with it than though it were a hundred miles away unless you have the time to spend and sufficient curiosity to go and hunt it out you may not see anything of it unless it directly collides with some of your daily habits so it was with this riot the public journals were heavy that morning with reports of gathering disturbances in the upper parts of the city and there was a general feeling of apprehension of coming trouble but when it actually came people living in the houses in the upper reaches of the town saw nothing of it even though it was then in actual progress within a mile of their own door sills it was not until three or four o'clock in the afternoon that gilderman heard of the attack made upon the temple he had been called away from home for a couple of days and being tired had remained in the house that sunday morning with his wife the diamond necklace had been brought home from brock's the evening before and he had that morning given it to mrs gilderman in the bonbon box as he had planned they had both been very happy it was only on his way to the club that he met ryan and sterling west coming to find him with news of the riot the three went off together down to the rectory of the church of the advent where the caiaphases were still living until the first of may should take the late bishop's family into their new lodging the attack had been made just after the closing of the morning services and there were all kinds of exaggerated reports about the affair west with a good deal of hesitation told gilderman that it was said that bishop caiaphas had been assaulted and that he had only been saved from serious injury by the aid of the police that is not so i know said gilderman the bishop wasn't at the temple at all to-day he told me only last night that he was to be out of town this morning at the consecration of the church of bethel is that so said west well these things are always confoundedly exaggerated you know i'm precious glad that the dear old boy wasn't in the beastly row i heard that he was knocked down and beaten it's probably altogether a false report made out of the whole cloth said gilderman think so said west well i'm glad if it is so anyhow it is certain that there was an attack on the temple the three young men met the bishop just at the entrance of the park his brougham drew up to the sidewalk when he caught sight of gilderman and his friends he was very agitated he said that he was on his way to visit Pilate and to see if the governor would not take some steps to prevent the recurrence of any further rioting. He said that Mr. Doling and Mr. Latimer, the latter a cousin of Latimer Moore's, had been to see Herod, but it seemed to be somehow very difficult to get the authorities to take any steps in suppressing the disturbance. "'I should be very reluctant to think,' said the bishop, and his voice trembled as he spoke i should be very reluctant to think that the authorities should take less interest in the protection of church property than of private or city property oh i think that's hardly likely said gilderman i suppose they don't want to take extreme measures until extreme measures are necessary i hope it is so said the bishop i hope that is the reason why they don't do anything 
would you like me to go up to pilots with you said gilderman i wish you would henry said the bishop i wish you would as the two bowled away through the park the bishop gave gilderman a brief account of the rioting of the morning and the attack in the temple there had it appeared been a business meeting held in the chapel after the morning service it had been the custom for some time past to hold such meetings for the members were always sure of being together at that time the bishop said he had not altogether approved of these meetings but it seemed to be more convenient to hold them then than at any other time and there was more certainty of getting the committee together there had he said been some difficulty for some time past in reaching any decision as to the design for the great chancel window and mr dorman webster had suggested that the committee having the window in charge should that morning meet with the finance committee and that duncan of white and hall should then submit his designs to them as a body there had been two designs made originally but the design selected by the committee having the matter in charge the design that the late mrs hapgood had so much liked had been so much more expensive of the two that the finance committee had not as yet been able to agree to purchase it so mr duncan of white and hall had come bringing around both the coloured designs mr parrot had also come to meet the committee he was the importer who had brought over the roman tapestries in gold and silver and he had brought round coloured photographs to show the committee while the joint committee was sitting a mr wilder duncaster had come in with the news that part of the mob was coming up in the direction of the temple although as was said there had been all morning a general apprehension of a coming riot it had occurred to no one that the temple could be the object of attack no one had any thought of present danger until the mob was actually in the plaza of the temple the chapel in which the committee sat opened upon the side street but by some mistake both that door and the door of the chancel had been locked leaving only the other door leading into the temple cloisters open the committee although they were even yet not exactly apprehensive of any violence adjourned immediately and mr wilde went out to see if he could get some one to come and open the street door so that they might escape the mob which was then in the plaza almost immediately however the crowd had broken into the temple and the cloisters mr wilde was forced back into the chapel and a moment or two later the leader of the mob himself entered at the head of the riot he had the bishop said brought with him a heavy whip with which he began striking at the committee mr reginald moore speaking of it afterward said that he had seen dorman webster struck twice across the face all the time of the attack the man continued repeating my father's house is called a house of prayer but you have made it a den of thieves gilderman listened intently as the two bowled rapidly along he felt very sorry for his father-in-law the poor bishop was so agitated that his hand shook and his voice trembled gilderman did not like to look at him in his agitation if they make another attack upon the sacred building said the bishop in a straining voice there is no knowing what damage they may not do suppose they should take it into their heads to smash in those beautiful painted windows or blow up the chancel i have suffered enough in spirit over our social riots of late but this is the worst of all to think of the poor ignorant creatures attacking the temple of god itself it breaks my heart oh well said gilderman comfortingly maybe the worst is past 
but the bishop only shook his head there was no comfort for him in gilderman's words the bishop and gilderman found pilate at home and alone in his library he was smoking a cigar and he had evidently been reading a book which he had laid face down upon the table it was one of the nether sort of imported novels gilderman from where he stood could not read the title of the volume but there was no mistaking the yellow paper cover the sharp type and the disreputable vignette picture of the two laughing black-stockinged women on the cover pilate tried in every way to elude the subject the bishop sought to force upon him he tried to talk about the white court lectures the women's club and the street missions in all of which he knew the bishop was much interested but the bishop would not talk about anything but the riot and at last the governor had to submit my dear bishop he said you don't understand these affairs one must act deliberately and with caution in such a matter as this act deliberately act with caution cried the bishop in the meantime how are we citizens to be protected from such a mob as this which may at any moment take it into its head not only to gut the sacred temple and to smash its windows but even to attack our very homes my dear bishop the governor began again there is not in my estimation the slightest danger of any attack upon the private or the public property of this community but sir said the bishop don't you know that there has already been an attack made upon the temple and upon the persons of certain citizens gathered there i know said pilate but i think that comes within the province of the city authorities rather than under my authority i do not feel the riot to be as yet of sufficient magnitude to call out the troops for active aid in suppressing it but you speak about the mayor mr dorman webster went to see the mayor and he expresses it as his opinion that the mayor is not to be counted upon for any assistance the governor almost shrugged his shoulders and don't you mean to do anything at all then said the bishop are not the laws made to protect us and our property the laws yes if you please they are made to protect you but i am not made to protect you that is you alone the office of governor is made that the executive may protect not only you but all men do you think i would be protecting these poor misguided people if i called out the militia to shoot them down in the streets my dear bishop i cannot undertake to do that until there is absolutely nothing else to be done human life is too valuable for that the bishop was staggered for a moment i don't know he said that i want that the troops should actually fire upon the mob then what do you want said the governor i would suggest that the presence of the troops might overawe them governor pilate shook his head and smiled that can no longer be done he said it has been tried but it has never succeeded it must be fire and blood or nothing no my dear bishop he continued you people are all calling so loudly upon me through the press and the post here he laid his hand upon a great packet of letters upon the desk you who are so calling upon me to take the law into my own hands and to execute it to your liking for the instant suppression of the rioting you do not take into consideration the responsibility of my position you see but one side of the question i see both sides i am not only governor of a part of the community such as yourself i am also governor of the humbler classes of the commonwealth as well 
i must consider them equally with you and your kind i have no right to side myself with you and strike against them i must stand between you and keep you apart from one another i may sympathize with you yes but i cannot sympathize so far as to do violence against these poor misguided people i must hold my hand until nothing else remains to be done than to kill them i don't think i understand your position said gilderman striking in it seems to me that there is a right and a wrong and that it is right to do right and wrong to do wrong it does not seem to me to be right that the violent and the vicious should be allowed to work their wills upon the peaceful and the innocent i am sorry that you can't understand my position said the governor who had turned to gilderman when he began speaking it is very plain to me mr gilderman suppose i should act hastily in this matter and make a mistake all the blame of that mistake would fall upon me and upon no one else it does not require any courage for you and those other gentlemen and ladies who write to me to urge that i should at once act and act violently in this matter to so advise does not take any courage but it does take a great deal of courage for me to do such a thing upon my own responsibility consider the blame that would fall upon me if i should err in such a matter as this i don't think i care overmuch for the opinion of other men but even i do not care to take unnecessary blame but surely no blame can attach to you for merely putting a stop to rioting perhaps no perhaps yes but said the bishop even if blame is thus attached to you you will have done your duty again the governor smiled faintly that my dear bishop he said is a higher plane of ethics than i am able to attain i would rather be at ease in my mind than in my conscience then he began fingering among his papers and the bishop saw he wanted him to go nevertheless bishop caiaphas would not give up entirely you have no objection to my taking the matter in my own hands he said none whatever said pilate then i shall go and consult my lawyer i came to you in the first instance because it did not seem courteous to act without consulting you before taking any other steps if i can have this man arrested upon my own responsibility i shall do so my dear bishop said the governor rising as the bishop arose if you will allow me to say so the very best thing you can do is to go and consult with your lawyer he will tell you just what to do the law is open to you if you choose to put it in operation against this man and if you can arrest him and convict him i promise you i will not stretch out my hand to prevent his execution only in doing what you do you act upon your own responsibility then the bishop and gilderman took their leave and the governor sat down took up his book and resumed his reading almost with a grunt of satisfaction as bishop caiaphas was driven rapidly away from the governor's house he was very angry he knew that it was very unbecoming in him as a priest to be so angry but he did not care presently he burst out the idea of that man sitting there alone debauching his own mind with a low and obscene novel while this man and his mob are allowed to overturn the religion of the world if bishop caiaphas had been a layman he would perhaps have added damn him gilderman did not say anything but his heart went out in sympathy to his father-in-law presently the bishop burst out again 
i'll go down and see inkerman this evening mr judah inkerman was his lawyer i would sir if i were in your place said gilderman i don't doubt that he'll tell you the very best thing to do he's got lots of influence with police commissioner robinson too and look here sir the young man added tell inkerman not to spare any expense and to send his bill to me he wanted to do something to comfort the bishop and this was all that occurred to him oh, thank you henry said bishop caiaphas gratefully no man ever had a better son than you gilderman slipped his hand under his father-in-law's arm and pressed it there was no further demonstration of the rioters against the temple the next day the mob gathered again but this time it did not move towards that holy edifice but drifted downtown towards the law courts as the morning wore along it began to be apprehended that an attack might be made upon the public buildings or the sub-treasury or some of the large banking-houses but no such attack was made gilderman had an appointment at the office that morning he did not go downtown till about noon and then he found the blockade of cars extended far up into the town at last his coupe could go no further the footman came and opened the door and told gilderman that it was impossible to go any farther and that a policeman had said that the streets were packed full of people as the footman stood speaking to gilderman downingwood lawton came up to the open door of the coupe hello gildy he said is that you what are you doing down here come down to see the row not exactly said gilderman laughing and then he explained i promised to be down at the office this morning and sign some papers there seems to be pretty poor show of getting there according to what my man says well i should rather say so unless you choose to foot it and even then it's only a chance of getting through by george i never saw such a jam in my life were you down there then said gilderman yes sterling and i went over to see bell and jeanette de haven off they went this morning did they yes and we went down to see them off just for a lark you know while i was downtown i thought i'd go over to the office and strike the governor for a check and so i got right into the thick of it all i left sterling down there somewhere what does sterling stay down there for i don't know wants to see the row i guess what are they doing down there now asked gilderman nothing that i can see the last i saw was the man himself standing at the top of the courthouse steps talking to a lot of lawyers where are you going now gildy oh i don't know said gilderman i don't suppose it's any use my trying to get down to the office not the least in the world if you're going back uptown i'll thank you for a lift there isn't a cab to be had anywhere or if you find one it can't budge out of the block jump in then said gilderman and i'll take you up with me just at that time the son of man weary dusty wayworn was talking with the lawyers giving utterance to those three great parables the last of all he gave to the world the first parable the man who had two sons the one of whom said i will not go work in the vineyard and yet went and the other of whom said i will go and went not the second parable the master of the vineyard who sent his servant to the husbandman who stoned him then his son to the same husbandman who killed him outright the third parable that of how the king made a marriage feast for his son and yet had to send into the highways and byways for guests 
of how one guest came without a wedding garment and as punishment therefore was cast into outer darkness where there was wailing and gnashing of teeth the people listened and did not understand and gilderman drove away from divine truth in his coupe by george said lawton as the cab worked its way with difficulty out of the press of vehicles isn't this a lovely state of affairs i came down from the country yesterday afternoon i never saw such a sight in my life half the trees in the park are stripped as bare as poles we went by one place where they'd been spreading branches in the street and everything all a clutter it's a beastly shame i say that pilate and herod don't do something to stop it all as the coupe drove past the armory they saw that the authorities were at last evidently taking some steps to prevent any fatal culmination of the disturbance the great armory doors stood wide open and a crowd of people were gathered about a couple of soldiers stood on guard erect motionless endeavouring to appear oblivious to the interest of the clustered group of faces looking at them i'm glad to see that anyhow said gilderman pointing with his cigarette towards the armory End of chapter fourteen